when Don and I got married, uh, we this will be our 20th year of marriage. Uh, when we first got married, uh, like many people, we had this five-year plan. Um, you know, I know many people have like your, you have it all mapped out, and we had this five-year plan where we said, "Hey, we're going to just enjoy ourselves and be together, and then." In five years, we'll start talking about having a family. And we were, we were doing so good. And then six months into it, I was like, but I want a little baby. And so I told her, I was like, well, man, we should have kids. And um, so she got pregnant. And, you know, it was, as we were so young, too. Um, I think we were like 24, 23, somewhere around there. And um, she got pregnant. And we were really excited. We were living in Minneapolis. And our families were somewhat close. And, and we were just looking forward to the future. And... And then, you know, about three months into the pregnancy, um, Dawn started having some issues, and um, she, we found out we were actually um, going to have twins, and so Dawn and I, you know, also were like, oh my gosh, this is like parenting times a thousand, and, uh, but sadly, right after we found that out, um, she miscarried both kids, and I remember at that time, like, being really, 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 really overwhelmed, and and sad, and it's interesting because um, we definitely both handled that um, that pregnancy, the loss of that pregnancy, in different ways. And you know, Dawn really struggled with with depression. She shared this with some of you. She she struggled with depression. And and I want to just mention um, what was interesting is that after we had that miscarriage, we found out that there were many other people who had had miscarriages too. And part of the reason why I want to share this is because. Oftentimes, what I've discovered is that when people have miscarriages, they think that they're all alone and that nobody else has. But what happened for us is we found out that lots of our friends and peers had also had miscarriages, and and they came alongside us. And the only thing that really got us through the most difficult thing we had faced at that time were two things. Number one was our biological family. My mother, my father, um, her family, they all just came around us and loved on us and were, were willing to listen. But the second thing that really got us through that season was our church family. And there were some people who just showed up out of the blue and just would sit with us and just be present and, and just listen or just let us know that they cared for us. And, and I'll never forget that because it was like we were entering into the world of parenthood. And for Dawn, becoming a mother um, was, was a reality that she was entering into. And it was really, it was pretty, pretty crazy because of the loss and the frustration. And then, you know, after we got through that season, we were blessed and we now have five kids. And, and we, you know, have been really um, fortunate in that regard and, and are very happy with that. Um, but I'll never forget that season of life. Um, and so I'm keenly aware of the fact that Mother's Day or days like this uh, bring about a lot of different feelings. Like there's some people in the room um, that you woke up and there was breakfast made for you and flowers and I'm so jealous. But like that might have been your experience, you know. And, but yet at the same time, there's other people who are in the room where you're also, it's more of a reflective or maybe it, it brings up a sense of loss. I mean, I know... Some of you have lost your parents and you are missing your mom today. Or, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget this, uh, this time when I first became aware of the challenge of these type of days because I grew up in an environment where we never talked about the difficult things in the churches I was really a part of. But I was speaking at a church in Minnesota. A friend of mine, actually, this is totally a funny story. He had called me and he was my parents' pastor. He's like, hey, would you be interested in coming to speak at our church for Mother's Day? 
Um, he, he knew I was going to come and spend time with my parents, and so I was like, awesome. He's like, and I'm not going to tell your mom, so she won't know, and then you'll get up and you'll do a sermon. And I was like, that's a great idea. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I don't have to get your card now. And uh, just kidding, I totally got a card. <laughs> I'm a bad son. Um, but anyway, I was sitting in the back row of the church because that's generally where I would choose to sit if I wasn't pastoring. So I was sitting there, and I remember the person who was speaking got up and just was like, oh, happy Mother's Day. We are so grateful for all you moms. All you moms are amazing. It just went on and on. And I was in this row, and this guy who was just like two chairs down from me was like, not my mom. And he was like being loud. He's like, my mom was terrible. She was abused. So every time the person in the front would say something, he would say something. And I was just like, this is really awkward. But the reality is that not everybody had really great parents too, right? So Mother's Day or Father's Day can be a little challenging because if you didn't grow up in that environment, it's hard maybe to celebrate people who you were hurt by or abandoned by or, or mistreated by. Or, or, for instance, you know, another thing that I've noticed in church is that um, when I first started pastoring, this guy walked up to me. It was my first, uh, it was you know, my first Father's Day, and he said, so, is this going to be like the typical Mother's Day, Father's Day thing? And I was like, I don't know. And he's like, well, you know, Mother's Day where you get up there and you say how awesome the moms are, and then Father's Day you get up and yell at us for not being good dads. And I was like, ah, uh, no, you know. So it just seems like with holidays like this, it can be a little challenging to think about how to wrap all of this up and to think about what the Bible teaches and to acknowledge reality for people, but also at the same time to help us become more like Jesus and more engaged in God's mission. And so that's what I want to do this morning. But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage of Scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple verses and then chapter 3. And so this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a, a younger man who was 40 years old who was overseeing a group of churches in the city of Ephesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Did everybody hear that? God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And he goes on to write, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you, you know you can trust those who taught you. And just to remind you again, it was his mother and his grandmother who taught him. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Let's pray. So, Father, we are gathered together in the name of Jesus, and we are we are at different places with different expectations, with different experiences. But, Lord, I would ask that as we stand and we sit and we kneel and we clap and we sing and we pray and we listen and we speak and we smile and as we are 
present, God, that more than anything, you would be present for us and that you would, through this time, shape us into the image of Jesus, that you would help us to become empowered to share the love of God with the world around us, and that we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, we would be convicted, and we would be um, stirred up, God, of these things. We pray this in your name. Amen. So what I want to do is really quickly, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about um, what, I, what I would call like three characteristics of godly motherhood. And I, I just want to say this, though, too. If you're here and, you know, you fit into a category where you're like, I don't really know how this is going to fit in. Because, I, like, I remember when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, I would go to church. And oftentimes I would sit there and be like, I don't, I have no idea how this has any bearing on me. And Mother's Day was one of those days where it's like, yep. Awesome, we're going to talk about mom, she's great, and then, I don't know, like, what does that have to do with me? Here's what I want to do. I want to talk about three, today, I want to talk about three characteristics of godly motherhood, and then I want to tie it all together about how this applies to everybody in this room. So just hang with me a little bit, and let's think about three characteristics of godly motherhood. One of the things that I I observe about godly motherhood is that mothers who are godly are fiercely loving. And I, I think today, in the world we live in, we really do need to think about what is love. And I, was, I almost wanted to say, hey, especially today, in today's culture, do we need to wrestle with what love is? But I think that's probably been true for all of human history. Like, when you study history, you'll see that, that love has often been hijacked or, or misconstrued by people all over history in all different places of the world. So I think it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to, in a sense, not just recover a biblical concept of love, but we have to communicate what love is to the world around us. Because we know this, right? The word love, we use it for everything, right? I mean, we use it for the foods we love. I just want to mention, by the way, I talk about tacos a lot in this church, but this is what you need to understand. Wednesday, I ate tacos. Thursday, I ate tacos. Friday, I ate tacos. Saturday, I ate tacos. And I'm probably eating tacos today. And that lets you know everything about who I am, okay? Because I love them. But it's not the same. When I think about love, we really need to unwrap that a little bit and unpack it and really think about the implications of what the Bible actually teaches about love. And this is something that Don and I have spent a lot of time um, with married couples talking about over the years. When I think about love, the best definition that I, I, have, um, I, I see in Scripture is this idea that love is working for and seeking the best for the other person, regardless of whether it blesses me. It means that I'm going to do everything I can for you, for that other person to experience blessings or hope or, or good things, even if it doesn't mean that I get anything in return. And we see that demonstrated in the Bible over and over again because we're told that God, that God so loved the world that even before we were on his team, he died for us, right? Or that God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's really what, what I think we see with godly parenting. Godly motherhood is, is, is people, mothers who are fiercely loving, like they will do whatever it takes to to communicate love. You know, when I was a teenager, um, you know, I, actually by the time I was a teenager, I should say, I had gotten to the point where I was really hurt. I was very angry. I was disappointed. Um, and some things that had happened in my childhood 
up until that point had just kind of left me really rebellious and very, very angry at the world. And I remember um, having these knockout fights with my parents and my mom and I would just go, just go at it. Um, and what we both discovered, I think, hopefully she's not watching this, but we're both pretty stubborn. And I got it from her. Um, no, but there was like this, this like lo- level of stubbornness. And, 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 and so I would just go at it. I would be so rebellious and so angry. And I remember this one time where I was just like hard hearted. And I was just like, I could not wait to turn 18 years old because I was going to get out of there and I was going to go show them that I had no money and I needed help. <laughs> now I know that, but like, I was just like, man, I'm going to turn 18 and I'm out and I'll, I'll never be back again. And I, I, I was just waiting for that day. And but I think I was like 17 years old and I had just, I was so hurt and angry and bitter and and, and I was just holding all that in. And I remember this one time my mom was just trying to get through to me. And I, I remember this one, she just like started hugging me. And I was like, I don't know. I don't like hugs generally. And as a 17-year-old boy, man, whatever, I especially don't like them. But she just was like not letting me go. And I, I, like the only word to describe that hug would be the word fierce. It was like she held me and just can, it just kept hugging me. And I was like, you know, at first I was like, this is so dumb. I hate this. I hate this. And then it was like, I just started weeping. I just started weeping. And the reason why is because it was like in that moment, I just, I just knew my mom loved me more than anything in the world. I just knew it. It was like this fierce love that was so committed to her child that she would do whatever it takes to win my heart. And, and the reason why my mom did that is because she wanted my heart to be won by Jesus. I mean, that was always the debate in our household was whether or not I was going to follow God or if I was going to do my own thing. And so I've often thought about that with, with godly mothers. I just think that there's a level of fierce love that no matter what it takes, you will do that. You're willing to go to the, to the depths of, of hell in a sense to, to win them over. And so, you know, I just think that there's a level of, of, of love that it means that, that moms are, are willing to risk it all to, to communicate that love to their kids. And so I'm so grateful for that, too. So, Mom, if you're watching, I love you, and I'm more stubborn than you. Okay. Number two, I think godly mothers, when we see in Scripture, is that they are fiercely loyal as well. Fiercely loyal. Like, oh, my gosh. Uh, a good, godly mother is a bear, right? I mean, like, it's, we've joked around in my family, like, like, if you say something bad about me or my siblings and my mom, good luck. Good luck. She is just fiercely loyal to her family. And, and so the problem happens when some of us siblings get at it with each other. Because then she's like, I got to pick sides and... It's going to always be the five girls. Always. But deep down, I know there's like a fiercely loyal, a fiercely loyal mom. And that's one of the things that we see in Scripture, too, is that it's interesting. Like, think about Paul when he's writing to Timothy. He's saying, hey, listen, I want you to understand, like, there's been a level of loyalty in your household. Uh, in fact, this is what he says. Look, look at this. Paul, again, writing to, to Timothy in chapter 3, he says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. 
You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Loyalty is also connected to trustworthiness. And so when parents are loyal to their children, they earn trust and they're trustworthy. And that's something I think we can learn from godly mothers as well, is there's a, there's a fierce lo- loyalty. And, and here's why this, I think, matters a little bit for us today in our cultural context. I mean, when I think about the challenges that we face as a community, as a culture, as a country, I think one of the biggest things that we have to wrestle with on a regular basis is consumerism. Like, we are all being shaped and formed to just be consumers. That is all our culture is doing. It's, it's helping you just consume, consume, consume. Now, I, I want to be really clear here what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like if we approach everything in life about whether it gives me something and does something for me, we miss the opportunity of what we can bring to the table. Because I'm telling you right now, and I've been following Jesus for a pretty long time now, is that it is way better to serve than to be served. That is so true in the kingdom of God. It's better to give than to receive. And so if we're being shaped to be consumers in everything, it's how we approach life. It's how we approach relationships. As soon as a relationship gets a little challenging, what do we do? We get out of it. We get out of it. And I I just think that that might be something we we need to learn from godly mothers, this fierce loyalty that allows us to really push back against the cancel culture that is invading our culture or really challenges us to make a commitment. Like making a commitment in today's world may be the most countercultural thing you can do to say that I'm committed to this group of people or to this relationship or to this calling or this vocation, whatever it is, I'm, I'm going to be fiercely loyal. And that's one of the things that I think we just need to I don't know, maybe um, think about for a moment is that, you know, when we talk about motherhood or parenting, I know, I, I talk to many of you where it's like, I know your stories. You had parents who abandoned you or you had, you know, situations we were growing up that you're just like so hurt by. And, and, and here's the reality is that God, God is calling us. If you're in this room, what God is calling you to do is to be a reflection of God. That's the whole idea in the Bible is that we're image bearers. So it's like we're supposed to reflect God to the world around us. And so in the same way that how many of you agree that God is love? A few of you do. It's great. We are accomplishing things here at the vineyard. How many of you think that God is faithful? How many of you think that God is merciful and gracious? Okay, all, we can go on and on. How many of you agree that God is holy? Okay, if that's true, here's the challenge. In the same way that God is those things, we are called to reflect those things too. And so that means that as a parent, our parenting is supposed to be a reflection of God. In the same way that our, our marriages are supposed to be a reflection of God's goodness and his, and his kingdom. All of our, everything about us should be a reflection. It should, it should all point to God. And I know, if we're honest, I know we're all missing the mark, and that's the whole point of grace. And we have to recalibrate and recenter when we get off a little bit. But ultimately, the goal every day is that, is that we would look at the day and say, was I a reflection of God? Did I reflect God in the way I interacted with those people? 
And so when we lose our tempers, which I, I do, it's, it's more like I need to repent of that. I need to move away from that so I can become a reflection of God's grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness and all of the other attributes that, that wrap up who God is. So this loyalty thing, I think, is just, it's, just it's, it's way bigger than we may realize. Number three, I think, is really important, too, is fiercely courageous. Fiercely courageous. Godly mothers are fiercely courageous. Um, when I was younger, uh, I, this has been coming out more because my wife thinks this is the funniest thing in the world, but I used to be a rapper, Okay. This is back when there weren't a lot of white rappers. I just want to be really clear about that because it was like 100 years ago. But I, I was on two. I, so I actually spent like five years. Um, that was my full-time gig. I was touring all over, and I was on this tour in Canada one time. And, you know, what that looked like is basically we'd have a booking agent who would book all these, like, hip-hop clubs. And we would go, and, you know, a lot of these clubs... I mean, there was a lot of bad stuff happening in them, you know, like people were doing things that I was like, and I was trying to be a follower of Jesus. I was like, I am uncomfortable with the level of drugs in this room. I just want to be very clear. And so like stuff like that was happening. And so we were in Canada and, uh, and I was touring with this other artist who was like a hip hop, R&B, blues singer. And we were, we were on tour together. And so we, we did this show and then the, the like promoter of the club, so this is what happens in that world, it just like completely disappeared and we like got kind of, we kind of got suckered. And so we didn't get all our money and then we also didn't have a place to stay. So we're like, all right, and we're in the middle of Toronto and Toronto is like New York City. If you've ever been there, it's huge. And we're like not in a great part of Toronto. So this, this, this guy at the, at the show was like, hey, Listen, I got you covered. I got a place you guys can stay. We're like, it's like three in the morning because we've been out all night doing these shows. I was like, all right, that sounds great. And so he like gives us the address and we get there. And I am not kidding you. It was a crack house. It had to be. Like, and I don't know if that's a like, okay word to use, but it was. And uh, and like we like walk, you know, we came in, knocked on the door, and like nobody came to the door. And we're like, okay, do we just go in? It's unlocked. And so. <laughs> So um, somebody was there and like, oh, yeah, you can totally crash here. And so my friend Elias crashes on the upstairs on the couch in the living room. And then they take me into the basement. And no joke, they open this door and it's like where the, where like their, you know, furnace is. And they're like, you can sleep here on the floor. I'm like, thanks. And, uh, and so like, no joke. It's like three in the morning, super pitch dark. I've, I've just got a little flashlight and I, and I, get on the floor, and I'm like, I'm not going to sleep. There's no way. And so I just sat there all night long, like, <laughs> sucking my thumb, you know. I was like, oh, I love my mom. And uh, at the end of the, at the and like, so, so anyway, I get up, and, and, uh, and I didn't really sleep. It was like, uh, you know, just trying to, like, remain alive. And uh, so the, the next morning, the, my, the door opens, and my friend, Elias, who's with me, is like, sticks his, he's like, you all right? And I'm like, you know, I swear I was like, oh, mm, mm. You know, fetal position, the whole thing. And he's like, all right, let's go. And so we go, and it was clearly, I mean, a very non-safe, non-good place to be. And he's like, man, he's like, people were coming in all night long, getting packages of things. And I was like, dude, we got to get out of here. And when we were leaving, though, I just remembered that this morning. Is I remember there was, um, there was some people, a fa- family members, 
had showed up at this house and they were looking for one, their kid because they had heard that their kid who had a drug problem was there and they were trying to find them. And I just thought about that, about how, you know, when you think about courage and, and the way that godly mothers can reflect courage is that they're fiercely courageous. They will go to the depths of hell to do whatever they can to rescue their children. Amen? And I see this in, I mean, one of the things I love about the NA community, I've, I've talked to people who are in the NA community or, or in AA, and they're like, hey, when we have somebody who's part of our community that, that you know, falls off the wagon and is getting back into that life, we will do whatever it takes to help them. I mean, they have to, you can't want more health than what other people want for themselves, but you're willing to go and talk to somebody and be present with them when they're going through really challenging situations. And that's the thing about godly motherhood is that it's fiercely loving, it's fiercely loyal, and it's fiercely courageous. You see that in the Bible. So here's the deal. What about if you are one of those people that you're like, I am a 17-year-old guy, I am not a mom. Or if you're in this room and you're like, I'm 62-year-old male, I am not a mom. Here's, here's why this matters for us, okay? This is why this matters for all of us. So look at those attributes. Fiercely loving, fiercely loyal, and fiercely courageous, okay? Those attributes, I think, are taught in Scripture about God himself, and they're attributes that every single person in this room should do their best to develop and, and, and live out, okay? Because I'll tell you right now is I, I think that there's something really beautiful about the church community is that God has designed this church community to be more than just a place we get together and sing some songs, amen? It's supposed to be more than that. In the New Testament, we talked about in the last couple of months about this idea how the church, uh, early on, you know, people become followers of Jesus and then they radically transform the world. The church grows from being a small band of like, you know, people who are just kind of like on the margins of life. And then it grows so quickly that there's millions of followers of Jesus all over the Roman Empire by the end of the fourth century. Millions of them. Thousands upon thousands and thousands of people who became followers of Jesus. And one of the most countercultural realities that caused the church to grow is because the church was a community of people who said, listen, I don't care about your ethnicity. I don't care about your background. I don't care about what political party you're a part of. When you come into the kingdom of God, you are part of our family. And it doesn't matter if we don't share blood because our community is greater than that. And that is what caused the church to explode. Because when people came in who didn't have healthy relationships with their parents or didn't have family, they were welcomed with arms wide open and treated as if they were a part of the family. And that is what our church is supposed to be, amen? Let's stand up together. We are going to receive communion in a moment. And so here at the Vineyard, uh, I just want to clarify, if you are new or if you've, um, you're not sure if you should receive, we would welcome you to the table. If you, haven't, if you don't have a, a cup, feel free right now. You can come forward. Um, you don't have to be a, a part of our church for the last 20 years. This is open for anybody who's a follower of Jesus or who this morning would say, I sense God's invitation to grace and I'd like to receive it. But here's what this table is, is it's the Lord's table. Amen? And every single week when we receive communion, I like to think of this as this is the family meal. This is the family meal. 
This is the meal where we gather together and we are reminded of God's grace, his love, his mercy. And so we're going to receive communion in a moment. I'm going to read a passage of scripture though for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The apostle Paul writes and says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And in a moment we're going to receive, but in the gospel of Luke, there's this parable, um, the parable of the prodigal son. And many of you probably have heard of it, but essentially what happens is there's two sons and one son um, basically just has, he's just a bad kid. He says, hey, dad, he basically says, dad, I want you to die so I can get my inheritance. Can I just skip that moment? And can you just give me my inheritance now uh, so I can go live my life? And so the father gives that son all of his inheritance. And then what we read is that very shortly after that, the son has spent all of his inheritance and he's living essentially uh, with pigs. He, he sees pigs eating. He's like, man, they even eat better than me. I just want some of this food. And then he remembers that in his father's household, the servants even ate better than that. He says, well, I'm going to go back to my father. At least he would be willing to maybe allow me to work for him. And, um, and the story is so powerful because what we see is that as the son is returning home, the father stops everything he can do and he runs out and greets him and, and welcomes him in and, and loves on him and then starts to kill the fatted calf and they have this big party. And it's interesting because we call that story the, the prodigal son, but the word prodigal actually just means lavish. And, and what people have done over the years is they've focused on the lavish lifestyle failures of the son and they've ignored the lavish love of the father. But that lavish love of the father is supposed to be a reminder of God's love to us. And so here's the beautiful thing. I don't know your past. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know your history. I don't know whether or not you have lived your life in a way that is reflecting God's goodness. But I can tell you this right now is that God's arms are wide open. And that's why we receive communion, because he wants you to come to him to receive grace. And so we're reminded by this meal of the beautiful love and grace of God. And so this morning, as we hold up this bread and we break it as a sign of God's broken body for us, let's receive together. And as we hold up this cup, we also again are reminded of the shed blood of Jesus and the cup of the new covenant. Let's receive together. Let's just, let's just stand for a moment here.
Now come Holy Spirit. Now would you continue to work in this room? So I just have this sense of there's two particular things that we want to pray into. And the first one is this. I, I just feel like there's a number of parents in this room who, you know, it has been really challenging with some, uh, with your relationship with your kids. You might be, you might be a grandparent, an adult, whatever, and your kids might be adults. But just a sense that there is um, some challenges that have been going on in your relationship with your kids. And I feel like the Lord just wants us to pray for you um, because when you were when you were hearing those ideas and concepts of being fiercely loving, fiercely loyal, and fiercely courageous, the Holy Spirit was just kind of, I don't know, like percolating a little bit in your heart, and you felt like God was inviting you to really press into that for your own life and the way that you parent. And so I want to pray for that. So if that's you, we're going to pray for you. And then secondly, I really have a sense that there's a number of people in this room who it's been a long time since you've experienced God's grace. You might have been here every single week for the last 20 years, but you have not experienced the lavish love of God. And there's something stirring in your heart right now where you're saying, I, I, want, I want that, I need that. And so if that's you too, we're going to pray for that as well. And so, um, Father, would you just, just right now, would you begin to, to communicate, Lord, your love. And I just pray for any parent in this room. If you're a parent in this room and you identify with those things, I'm just going to encourage you to lift your hands up like you're receiving a gift from God if you feel comfortable doing that. So, Father, I pray right now for every parent in this room that, that, that feels this sense of, of calling and invitation to be a courageous, um, to be a loyal, and to be a loving, a loving parent. Would you, Lord, give grace towards that? I pray right now that you would, you would even um, bring creative ideas in how to communicate those things to their kids, Lord, and to their grandkids. I pray for you to bring hope, Lord. I pray that you would help every one of us, Lord, who has a desire and a longing for our kids, that we would have hope and that we would trust you, God, that you love our kids more than we ever could. And then, Lord, I, I pray for anybody in this room that has just a desire to experience your love and to, and to have a sense of your lavish grace. I pray right now, Lord, would you just rest in this room? Would you just fall on, on those of us who are, are longing for that? And then, Lord, as we, um, as we continue to seek after your kingdom, as Jesus says, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and that will be added to us. Father, I pray that as we seek after your righteousness and after your heart and after your, the inbreaking of your kingdom, would you be present with us to be so countercultural that the world around us would see such a difference in the way that we live that there would be, Lord, and, and, and just, Lord, questions and, and, um, and discussions, God, that would flow out of that. Would you 
continue to carry us through all the challenging circumstances that we're in. Would you empower us to be able to to love well, to serve well, that you would give us trust and faith, Lord, to, to believe, Lord, beyond what we see, and that you would be present with us. We pray this in your mighty name. And all of God's people who agreed said amen. Amen. Folks, have a great week. If you are interested in getting in Mexico, we're meeting right here, right now, so make your way up here. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday, 10 a.m.